Before we continue, one of the ways we keep all of our content for you, the listener, free of charge is our amazing sponsors, and today, Anchor is one of those sponsors. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free, there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcasts right from your phone or computer. Anchor is going to distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere podcasts are listened to, and you can even make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hey everybody, in this episode of the Legends of Tomorrow After Show, we're breaking down Season 4, Episode 3, Dancing Queen. Find out how Mix-A-Lot got knighted, is Burrito Monday a good thing, and hey, honestly guys, I'm looking for a time bro. Do you have what it takes to be my time bro? If you do, I'll send an application to you. Let's do it. You're tuned in to AfterBuzz TV, the ESPN of TV talk. Now, let the buzz Oh, look at that. Some nice 70s punk rock music bringing us into this episode of Legends of Tomorrow. This is the show that breaks down every episode of Legends of Tomorrow, airing Monday nights on the CW. I'm your host, Frank Moran. Now, usually I have an entire panel here with me as we break down all the latest shenanigans that our Wave Rider crew finds them in. Today, though, I'm alone. So alone. So alone. That's right. It is just my myself here, Lex Michael, Dave Child, Lucretia Lyon. They are all on assignment, scouring the universe. Uh, Lex Michael looking for some five stars to ju- rejuvenate him. Dave Child doing some dancing. Lucretia uh, looking for the bright side of things. So it'll be just myself here uh, in the captain seat of the Wave Rider breaking down this episode for you. So, uh, yeah. So we usually have a lot of different segments here, uh, <laughs> including what's Frank's beef. I will see if I can find some beef coming up in this episode that I can try to eat, and uh, we'll we'll proceed accordingly. So before we dive in completely, just a, uh, an overall thought of the episode. It uh, I have to say, I've been enjoying this season much more than I thought I was going to. I usually have a I, I wouldn't even say it's it's fair to say a love hate relationship with the show. I can have like a love sign of, uh, sort of annoyance with the show at times. Uh, Legends of Tomorrow can be a very fun show, but at points it can also be kind of cheesy or do some things that just kind of wrinkle me uh, or rub me the wrong way as a uh, comic book fan and and just from their storytelling t- takes and choices. But this, epi- this season, I've been enjoying the direction they've been going in. So it is definitely a lot more love for the show and a lot less of the annoying things that it kind of plagued me for the first three seasons. It. I mean, if you looked at it in the broad, broad spectrum of things, I would say my my annoyance has probably decreased from season one, it kind of in a steady downward. I I will I will correct that. I will say definitely season one was the most amount annoying. Season two had a nice blip because he had the Legion of Doom in there, which is always a uh, when you have a lot of villains being able to fight your team, it's always a good thing. And then it kind of dipped back down in season three, but so far right now with the I don't know if it's the addition of John Constantine. Or that the show is just kind of finding its stride, both with the the character development and in the writer's room, about what really works and doesn't work when telling this kind of show with these many characters. Uh, but this season is is turning it around. So, without further ado, let's just jump into episode three of season four, Dancing Queen. And it starts off there in, in London, 1977. We get to see the queen going to get her crown jewels, and she wants to take them out in the town for, for a spin, whether it's... Uh, and there, and she's asked if it wants to kind of wave from the balcony to her adoring public, and she has a different plan, and that is we find out to go to a concert and uh, throw her crown jewels around to the crowd, uh, dance, get crazy, and eventually flash the crowd 
which we see throws the whole time continuum out of whack. It ends up by creating a uh, time stream where the the queen is institutionalized, the monarchy crumbles, and the UK is in shambles. So clearly, this is something that cannot stand. So it is time to head back to jolly old England to get things back on track. So we've kind of basically got two different storylines, and that seems like it's going to be a runner for the majority of the season, where we will have the Wave Rider doing whatever their mission of the week is, uh, intercut with Nate... And his new life right now, back in present day, Washington, D.C. at the Time Bureau. And this episode in particular sees him starting to do his first day, his first week of work, so to speak. He's getting his uh, his uh, lay of the land. So uh, finding out that, you know, it's even though he wants something a little different in his life, that there is uh, something to be missed from the adventures that the Wave Rider had. I mean, it's when you can be in 1997 one day uh, to... Thirty-one twenty-six to the prehistoric age, all in the matter of just you know hours. It can maybe be a little of a letdown when you have to just spend your days in and out in twenty eighteen. But he's got Gary there as the uh, his trusty sidekick uh, to kind of show him the ropes around the time bureau. So uh, Gary tries to show off the the one cool perk uh, the time bureau is that you know you don't do burrito Tuesday. Forget about that. It's uh it's burrito Monday. You know because they can do things different at the time bureau. And we get to see Gary have just a little bit of flirting there with uh, Mona, the uh, the person who delivers the burritos there. Uh, it's like Mona Lisa, but you just get rid of the uh, the Lisa part, and it's just Mona. So uh, Gary's uh, way to cover for the Time Bureau is to say that, oh, yeah, we investigate time zones, uh, things like that, uh, daylight savings time. That's what the Time Bureau is here for. So uh, that's his cover. But uh, they also have a little bit of a blip that they find over in the uh, in the uh, back in the prehistoric area, the the to, to be quote the the Pleistocene era. So they find a little blip, and rather than just write a report and give it to Ava and then just move on to the next task at hand, Nate, getting a little restless, says, "You know what? I didn't realize there's so many protocols." here at the Time Bureau, which I can understand. Who wants to push paper all the time? Especially when you've been, for the past couple of years, hanging out on a ship where you get your hands dirty. You get in the the mix with these time, anomal- uh, time, time anomalies. You take matters into your own hands. So just to write a report and give it to somebody else seems a bit of a letdown. So Nate, missing the, uh, the thrill of being out in the field, says, Gary, you know what? Why don't we take care of this ourselves? Which... I got to admit, I would probably do the same thing as well. I don't want to be sitting behind the desk. Sure, it might seem like a a great idea at the time. In theory, maybe wanting to settle down, you know, getting some roots, a little change of venue. But with that comes some of the, with that nice change also comes some of the drawbacks, uh, which you miss that adrenaline rush. Uh, Typing a report. There's no adrenaline rush in typing a report. I've, in all the, the different reports I've ever typed in my life, I've never once had adrenaline rush. So if I had to go chance to head back to the, the Pleistocene era and see maybe a saber-toothed tiger, I think that'd be a much more of a fun way to spend the day. So Nate gets Gary. They head back to the Pleistocene era. And they're supposed to be finding a time blip, just a little time blip, uh, some kind of magical threat now since that's what they're combating now this season. And they really don't get a chance to really explore anything before uh, – you know they see a saber tooth tiger. They got to get. They got to jump back to 2018, but to celebrate the uh, success of their their little mission that the time blip is gone from the Pleistocene era, and Gary is now Nate's time bro. Uh, Gary decides to celebrate by giving Nate a plant that he to commemorate their first adventure, and I'm assuming 
that Nate must have gone back, or that uh, Gary must have gone back after he and Nate had made it back to present day and evaded the saber-toothed tiger and decided to go and do a little, just little plant shopping, uh, find a nice little cool little plant, cut it and bring it back to the present day to give to Nate. Uh, so we find out, though, that the magical threat that is now no longer in the Pleistocene era happens to be in Washington, D.C., present day, 2018, and it happens to be that same plant that Gary brought back for Nate. And uh, wakes up, has a bite of the sandwich that Gary had gotten for lunch, and then uh, kind of sprouts more uh, uh, leaves and tendrils and roots and uh, busts out of its uh, container and starts wrecking havoc there in the, uh, the Time Bureau office. But luckily, Nate and Gary are able to uh, subdue it, or more specifically, just hack it to pieces and get rid of the thing. Uh, so now that they, that is saved, the Time Bureau is saved again one other day. They live in a little, bit of a mess, a lot of, uh, a lot of sap and ooze and green junk, uh, a lot of chloroform just pretty much everywhere at the Time Bureau. They, uh, they're going to, they're going to, they've done the job. They, they can go home, uh, another day done the books at the Time Bureau. But, uh, we do find out though, uh, by the course of the episode that Sarah, who was with Nate at the beginning of the episode and wanted him to be you know, like, hey, you did a little bit of this Time Bureau thing. Get back where you belong on the Wave Rider. When she wants to come back at the end of the episode and specifically has a reason to want Nate to come back with her for the Wave Rider because she really needs his advice and his input. He's kind of best suited to be able to give the advice that Sarah's hoping that uh, she needs from him. Nate break, gets serious with her and says, you know, the, I said that I was doing this just you know, maybe to get closer to my dad, maybe reconnect a little bit with him, uh, you know, maybe to just, you know, after having two years of not really having a job, maybe having some semblance of roots here in 2018. But the real reason is that he misses Amaya. Every place he walked in the Wave Rider just reminded him of Amaya. And, I mean, she and he decided to break up uh, at the end of season three because she had to go back to her uh, the 40s to resume her natural timeline so that the, the time stream wouldn't be disrupted. So it's while well, she's she's moved on and assumed like the normal course of of her life according to the history books and uh, everything succeeded after that at that point. Nate though, you know he's he doesn't really have anything to do right now. The woman that he really loved and cared for is gone now. So rather than just uh, being constantly reminded of her on the wave rider, he figured he'd kind of run away for a little bit and hope that maybe just a nice change of venue would kind of help ease his broken heart. But uh, Sarah, of course, hearing that uh, and realizing through the uh, the events of this episode why it might be tricky to have Nate come back right at this moment when he's trying to get over Amaya, says, "All right, just stay here in 2018, and uh, you know I'll I'll call you when I need you." And he uh, and she just leaves him there. And of course, Ava, as the boss, uh, just uh, walks in at the last possible second and sees all this uh, the the all the disaster, everything that's. The, the leaves and the greenery strewn about the office and uh, wonders, how, do you, how does Sarah, captain of the Wave Rider, handle five legends on that ship? And she's just struggling just with one legend working at the Time Bureau. And uh, Sarah says, hey, you know what? Uh, I, you, we might have it on a leash, but we sometimes that they will pull us in the direction that we really should be going into. So, uh, you know, having a, having a legend on your staff might not be a bad thing for Ava. Now, uh, you know what's also not a bad thing? AfterBuzz TV, folks. You know, because, you know, we uh, at AfterBuzz, this network produces after shows for nearly all your favorite TV shows. That's right, nearly all of them. From dramas, reality TV, sci fi, and more, there is no network that works harder 
to serve you, the television fan. And trust me, I've looked. There is no other network. It doesn't exist. AfterBuzz is the one that's really doing it here. But we also need your help. So we're asking that you please subscribe to one or more of our YouTube channels. And by subscribing to our channel, YouTube's going to suggest content that's tailor-made for you, and you're going to have to help AfterBuzz continue to grow. And if you're worried about those pesky notifications, you don't have to because they are optional. So hit that subscribe button now for this channel and check out all our AfterBuzz YouTube channels as well. And let us know that you did so in the comments. And you know what? When Dave Child gets back... He's going to uh, select some of those great people that have commented there in the uh, in the comment section uh, on our YouTube channels, and you know he will put together a, a dance in your honor that he'll uh, perform hopefully live right here in studio. Wouldn't that be fantastic to have Dave Child from Liquid Feet do his own personal dance choreographed uh, and with thought and care, all for one of you lucky commenters? So uh, let us uh, so please comment away. And uh, for right now, thanks for being the best fans and for helping making us the ESPN of TV talk. So, the main thrust of our storyline for this episode takes place in 1977, where uh, once we see what has happened to the Queen, the, uh, the legends head back there to try to prevent this from happening. And the one thing that has really changed in this uh, in this new version of the time stream is that the smell, this no-name band, has all of a sudden become incredibly, incredibly prominent uh, for... Everything that happened when the queen kind of went on her weird antics and ended up flashing the camera. So they got to figure out uh, who in this band might be a magical deity. Uh, Constantine thinks it's the, uh, the the one that looks like he's Irish, probably thinks he's a leprechaun. But uh, they need to get somebody to, to be the inside man on that band, uncover who's really magic, uh, the magical creature, and then send that creature back to hell. Because that's what the Wave Riders doing this year. This is what the legends are up to, finding all these magical beasts, sending him straight to hell. So uh, Sarah thinks, all right, that's great. We've got, uh, you know, this ship is full of punks. We might be sh- short a few crew members, but the ones that are here are punks. Except for Ray. Ray's a Boy Scout. I mean, he's never done anything bad other than help, uh, you know, Damien Dark's daughter, Nora, uh, you know, st- uh, escape from the Time Bureau. But only Zara knows that. But regardless of even that one slight indiscretion on Ray's part, he still feels like, yeah, I'm not a punk rock guy. Uh, this is not really my scene. You know, I can drive the the van, get you good to the venue. I'll be the I'll be the car guy this episode. That's a smart thinking for me to do. So uh, that's what happens. They drive to the club. You know, Ray stays in the van, drops the rest of them off. They go inside there. Constantine, right at home. Nineteen seventy seven, you uh, London, right there, the the heart of the uh, the punk rock scene. Uh, Constantine is uh, is loving this stuff. Uh, and once he sees that the band is done, he wants to go back and start ingratiating it ingratiating himself with the band and Mick it starts finally really bubbling to the surface Mick's intense dislike for Constantine it's uh, bad enough that he's wearing a necktie uh, which to him just means that uh, it's like a flag that says that uh, you're that you're 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 really no good so uh, but just his way of just coming in uh, coming in and feeling like the, he owns the place and uh, Mick does not like the way that he behaves on the wave rider just kind of taking everything uh, and making it his own so it really comes to a head in this episode where uh, Constantine says, hey, if you're going to play with fire, uh, you're going to get burned. Constantine does a little magic on Nate's uh, mixed shoe, lets it on fire. Mick's had enough of that, smashes a beer bottle over his head, and they start a nice big fight in the club. So everybody's fighting. It's a nice typical punk rock fight scene there. And the band gets out of the bars uh, as the police are coming. And looking for a way to get out of there quickly, they notice Ray in the van, hop in there, Ray drives them off. And drives them to where they're kind of hiding. Not necessarily their hideout, but, you know, they're 
their home base. Uh, so uh, Ray says, "Hey, I know where they're. I know where they're staying at now. We can come here and figure out who's who, who's a magical beast." And Sarah says, "You know what? No, you're our inside man now. You've driven them there. You already have a connection with the band. So as much as you're not a punk guy, you've got to convince them that yes, you're really interested in punk music. So you got to be the inside man." So it's nice to see Ray, who has been portrayed very much as a Boy Scout. Uh, not want to say necessarily goody two shoes, but he definitely walks more. Uh, you know, he's just his his interests and stuff are uh, a lot more positive light side than a lot of the stuff that you see in the punk rock music scene. But uh, for him to go in there and uh, you know claim that his name is Rage, uh, so which it's Rage, <laughs> so he's gave himself a nice little punk rock name that he hates disco music. And uh, what I love about that, though, is that it all ties up with uh, just a, a little bit of what we saw last season for the disco scene. Uh, there was an episode last season where they are just completing a mission where they're all dressed up in their nice disco, you know, kind of ABBA-esque, you know, prime disco dance outfits. And they're just coming back out of the Wave Rider from completing a mission. And we never really saw what it was. We only heard about it briefly. But what's great about that is this: we get to see Ray's cover get blown through the course of this episode by a newspaper article showing the Legends team in that in that attire doing a performance. So it was really nice to see a uh, kind of a, another take on a little bit of a scene that we so only saw just like the very bare ending of last season on Legends. So it was definitely a nice callback to that. But Ray is able to ingratiate himself into the band so much so that they're willing to give him a shot. And the way you do that is you got to initiate anybody new that's going to join a band, be part of a gang. This way, though, if uh, you're looking to stir up a little chaos in a in a country, the one thing you do is you go for the monarchy. And uh, they go for the queen, but not the queen herself. They want the queen's corgis, uh, one of them. So they can put her in an animal shelter and let, you know, so somebody sees what it's like for the rest of the people who don't get a chance to eat beef Wellington every single day. So it was interesting to see Ray, who... Uh, is now, <laughs> yeah. First, he's worried any harm's going to come to the dog. Uh, all we know, but once he finds out, it's just going to an animal shelter. At least he can do that. But also, still wondering how he's going to get a corgi away from uh, the person walking the dog. Let alone all the guards that are going to be along with that dog as well. Leave it to Sarah and Mick. Uh, Mick talks her talks him right through it. Just QBs it. I like that Sarah gave uh, Mick the option of: Do you want to be the QB or do you want to be on the field? And uh, Mick says, yeah, I'll just I'll QB this one. So he's just watching uh, Ray, talking him through what he needs to do. Sit down, relax, be quiet. Everything's going to happen just perfectly. And Sarah just goes out there, takes out the guards, and uh, Ray's able to get those that corgi. And uh, win, uh, you know, make, his, uh, make a great impression with the band. And if you're going to, you know, make your – if you're officially part of the band, you know, like, like anybody that ever goes undercover to really prove that you want to be in here – You've got to do something, whether it's if you're an undercover cop and you got to do drugs to prove that you're really not a cop, or you got to get a tattoo to prove that you're not really a cop because you're going to be, you know, marking up your body permanently. So somebody that wasn't a gang member or wanted to be part of this, they would never do that. And Ray goes along. He gets himself a tattoo of this experience, and he gets a sweet corgi with a tattoo with a mohawk on it. It's, uh, it's actually a really nicely done tattoo. So I... Uh, you know, if you're going to get a tattoo by, you know, in 1977, uh, London, why not get a corgi with a mohawk? Very definitely a distinctive tattoo. So the whole time, though, Ray's trying to figure out who is the uh, the magical creature in here. They originally think it's Declan, the uh, the Irish guy who Constantine thinks it's a leprechaun. 
But they quickly disproved that by Ray dumping a bunch of grain in front of him. And uh, a leprechaun would be compelled to pick up all that grain. Declan has no such compulsion. So he realizes it's not Declan that's uh, the magical creature, but who could it be? Turns out, though, that it is another uh, person there in the band, and that's Charlie, who uh, Ray ends up getting to know really well. Because after the, the crew finds out, the rest of the band, excuse me, finds out that Ray has been a disco person, and they see this article in the newspaper from uh, from New York. They want to get rid of him. And Charlie's the first one to say, like, oh, whoa, 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 hold on there. I mean, you're not, Declan, you're not even Irish. Uh, you know, you know, you know you, everybody's had a past, and they've all done things that before they were in a punk rock band that are wildly different, and we shouldn't hold somebody's past against them. And uh, we do find out that Charlie spent some time in lockup. And so while Ray and Charlie have a little chance to talk just the two of them and uh, Ray kind of explains the history of the band and I kind of liked it where he was able to talk a little bit about the legends without really spoiling that hey we're a superhero team from the future but just talk about the human elements of that experience that he's had with the team so far where uh, you know Sarah who's the captain has also decided you know he's she's fallen in love is trying to make a relationship work so she's in a sense Though she's still with the legends, you know, part of her is kind of missing. She's not as fully committed and as invested as she was, say, last season. She's she's grown. She's looking for other pieces of her life to kind of uh, help fill her out as a person. And then we see, uh, you know, Nate. Of course, is he's he's gone. Uh, he got a desk job, as Ray describes, and he's no longer with the legends. And then he talks about Amaya and said Amaya was the heart of the team. And I, I don't know, I. I don't know if I ever saw what I see Amaya as the heart of the team. If somebody were to, I mean, I felt she was very compassionate, but I don't know if I would necessarily would have described her as the heart of the team. But I feel like I understand why they said it in the sense of this episode because it it reinforces the story point uh, and the emotional moment that they're trying to really sell towards the end of the episode when the legends confront Charlie. But uh, if anybody else thinks that they uh, think that Amaya was really the heart of the team, let us know there in the comments. In fact, folks, there's a lot of great ways that you can uh, let us know how, you, how you're enjoying the after shows that we do at After Buzz or the Legends of Tomorrow After Show specifically. You can like us on Facebook, give us those five stars on iTunes, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Uh, you can also hop in the chat. Uh, that's on the YouTube channel after you subscribe to that there and uh, leave some comments there the chat's up and running right now currently you can share your thoughts with everybody else that's in the chat room but if you're watching afterwards you can comment down below share your thoughts so if you think Amaya was the heart of the team let me know in the chat I could I could certainly be convinced otherwise but I never really not that I didn't she think, think that she wasn't uh, an important part of the team last season or the past two seasons that she's been on but I I never would have thought I would have put that as her one descriptor for the uh, her place in the legends, but uh, regardless, the uh, uh, Ray and Charlie have a chat, and Charlie feels comfortable enough with Ray after he's kind of talked about his experience with the legends, uh, his his disco past, and uh, what that means right now going forward for his future. That uh, when Ray asks Charlie about why she was locked up, she's able to share why she was, and it turns out that she is a shapeshifter. So. And which, yeah, I mean, I guess in terms of magic, seems like on the low end of stuff because we've seen uh, many other shapeshifters before. I wouldn't necessarily describe shift- shapeshifting as uh, only solely a magical based trait, but in this case, this magical creature is a shapeshifter. So, shifts or uh, shows uh, Ray some of the uh, different shapes that she's able to uh, have, people that she's able to kind of change her shape to be into. 
And the reason that she chose the way that Charlie looks in 1977 uh, London is that she saw this face on a, on a toothpaste uh, ad- advertisement and liked the way that the, the smile was. And so that's why she changed her shape to look like Charlie. Uh, but after Ray has this discussion with her, uh, he has second thoughts about sending her to hell, which is true. It's uh, this uh, her actions here. While she she does want to stir up a bit of chaos, very punk rock esque. Nothing, nothing that she's shown so far has been threatening, uh, end of the world threatening. Like I want to destroy people, you know, kill them or anything like that. It's definitely wanted to stir up some mischief and kind of get back at the people that have done her wrong in a sense. But nothing has been that had crossed the line to seem like it was an incredibly violent, irredeemable act. And so Ray, after hearing this, gets back in touch with the legends and says, hey, why why are we doing this? Because if we get her not to impersonate the queen, then time readjusts itself. We don't need to send her to hell. She just can go off and lead her normal life. And... The rest of the team feels that no, Ray's too far in. He's go- yeah, he's gone native, as the police like to say for somebody. They've they've been undercover far too long. Which for Ray, you know, it just been like a day. So he's he went rogue. He went native really quick. But uh, that he's too far in. He can't see how dangerous Charlie really is. And so the legends are going to have to do the the dirty work. They're going to have to go in there and and be the ones that send her to hell because they can't count on Ray. He's not. He's lost his objectivity. So when the legends do show up. At the uh, the band's uh, hideout, flat, wherever they're they're kind of uh, chilling out there, Ray decides, you know what, I've got to show them that they're wrong. And I might need to knock a little sense into them. And (laughs) goes and tells Charlie, hey, this is what I really am. Uh, I I am like, I'm I'm not a narc like you thought I was, uh, but I am a a, a magic narc. And I needed to find who you were, and I needed to send you back to hell uh, and take you in, so to speak. And uh, it doesn't mention the hell thing because that does come a little bit later. But uh, says, hey, I don't want to do that now. And show, gets on his Adam suit and is ready to kick butt. And there's this great little shot where we get to see Ray fight the legends uh, for a little bit. We get to see him take out Sarah pretty quickly. Uh, just, you know, knock out Mick with a punch. Start attacking the legends. I was like, this is interesting. Ray's uh, kicking a little butt this episode. But uh, the show does a little twist on that. And we find out that it's not really Ray in the Adam suit. Ray was knocked out by Charlie who then assumed Ray's shape and then got in the Adam soup and then started uh, suit and started fighting the rest of the legends. Ray comes to, uh, stops, uh, stops Charlie from doing anything that she might regret to the fellow legends. And uh, this is just Ray on top of it, this episode, he wants to see the best in people. He has a voice activation to deactivate the Adam suit for as many times in the past as I've complained about Ray and his ineptitude and a variety of things, and how the Adam suit is not prepared for uh, a lot of the things that he needs it to do and can break down at any moment. This uh, this time he was on top of it. Has the voice deactivation. The Adam shoot, suit just uh, disassembles, falls to the ground. Uh, props to Ray, this episode. Got to give it up to him. Uh, but the legends say, you know what? Nope, we're, we're, sending you right to, uh, we're sending you back to hell. And this is the first time that Charlie's like, whoa, 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 hell? Wait, what's going on? Why am I going to hell? This is crazy. And... Uh, uses that moment as uh, Zari is kind of uh, using her air totem to kind of pin her up against the wall to to go through using what Ray talked to her about uh, the rest of the Legends team to say, hey, uh, you guys are just as bad as uh, as who you're trying to be, uh, who you're trying to put away, and you're not giving anybody the benefit of the doubt that they can change, and uh, you're losing you know losing the heart 
uh, your heart. And when she does that, she shape shifts into a Maya. And everybody, except for Constantine, is kind of taken back a moment when they see uh, uh, Charlie looking like a Maya. To the point where Zarya realizes that I can't, I can't do this. So, lets her down. And what I liked about that is that, all right, you know, yeah, the, you know, the legends are at least reminded. It does show the impact that Amaya had on them. That they, even somebody that looks like them, is, which is always the same trope of anybody that ever shape shifts into somebody else that you care about, no matter what. Nobody can ever just do the act that they need to do. It's always they're always stopped by just the the sheer fact that this. Menace, whether it is real or or, uh, or not, uh, you know, a real threat or just an imaginary threat. But uh, everybody seems to always is, is always stopped when that shapeshifter turns into somebody that they care about, and they're like, "Wait, what have I done? I've made a terrible mistake. I gotta stop. I've become the monster that I was you know, looking to destroy." So they stop, but constant, and they're gonna bring her back to the Wave Rider and figure out what to do with her. But Constantine does not want a shapeshifter anywhere on the Wave Rider. So he gives her what he calls a magical lobotomy and locks her into the last shape that she's in, which happens to be uh, the shape that looks like a Maya. So now you cannot do this. As he describes to uh, uh, the rest of the Legends team, it's like when you clip the wings of an angel, uh, you can't just unclip them. So unfortunately, uh, Charlie is now stuck looking like a Maya. So that is how we get a chance to have... Uh, uh, you know, Amaya back in the, uh, in a sense, Amaya back in the episode. We get to see uh, the actress back. Uh, so uh, we we get to have here uh, Maisie, Richard, uh, Maisie Richardson Sellers back, this time playing a totally different character. May look like Amaya, but her name's Charlie. She has a totally different background, totally different history, a totally, what could be a different power set. The fact that Constantine uh, took away her shape-shifting powers is that the only power that she has? She never described having any other powers. So I'll be curious to see what happens with her over the course of the season. Is it the her journey to try to unlock or undo what Constantine did to her? Or is she looking for other magical powers? Uh, who knows what might be in store for that. But uh, the point being, though, is that she you have somebody that looks like uh, Amaya, who goes by the name of Charlie now, as a uh, as a member of the Wave Rider crew, and how she's going to fit in will be kind of the uh, the thrust of this entire season. So, uh, yeah, so we wrap it up there with uh, oh uh, with my with Charlie now being a part of the uh, the Legends crew. The other nice little bit that we had too is we get a little bit more of the John Constantine backstory, and I never got a chance to watch the Constantine series on NBC. So feel free to chime away in the chat or comment down below if you are an avid watcher of the Constantine series. We, uh, I was interested to find out some history, and I wonder how faithful this is to any information that was learned during the course of the, the Constantine TV series, if it was ever mentioned in the uh, the C, uh, CWC animated uh, film that they did as well, shorts that they did, uh, that uh, Constantine's mom died in childbirth and he never had a chance to meet her, and his dad never stopped uh, reminding him of the fact that he did that. And so Constantine, back in 1977 goes to a bar, and uh, what Zari thinks at first is just, uh, he's just going to Liverpool to go to a bar because that's what Constantine likes to do. He likes to drink. He likes to smoke. Of course, he's going to find his way to a bar. But Constantine specifically chooses this bar because his mom works there. And so he's had, able to have some interaction with his mom, getting some food and some drinks from her. But then when Zari comes in and uh, finds out why Constantine is there, turns out that uh, 
not only is his mom at the bar, but also his dad is there too. And so what he's going to do is stop his dad from being able to have the ability to have kids. And in that sense, Constantine's going to erase his own existence. So if he doesn't exist, then his mom doesn't die. So uh, I was curious. I was what I liked about this is how they kind of handle that that grandfather paradox, where if you go back in time and you kill your own grandfather, you don't exist anymore. So as Constantine tries to kick his uh, his father in the nether regions, uh, thereby uh, kind of robbing him of the ability to uh, uh, perpetuate his lineage, uh, he's stopped by the sort of grandfather clause, uh, grandfather paradox of it all, and uh, he's prevented from being able to do that. So. Anything that would uh, would like, how could you go back? You if you do that to your father, you don't exist to go back in time to do that for your father. So every time he goes to the kick, he's stopped and then he's thrown immediately down to the ground. It's an interesting kind of way they showed that with a kind of just like a jump cut to Constantine trying to kick and then immediately they're kind of writhing on the ground. But uh, his father sees that after he does it a couple times to then still lay a little beating on Constantine, uh, and Constantine gets a couple shots in there, but. Uh, uh, you know, still rouse up his mom long enough to say, get out of my pub. I never want to see you again. Sadly, Constantine says, well, you don't have to worry about that. That's never going to, you won't be doing that. Uh, But by the end of the episode, Zari comes in and uh, rather than, as Constantine says, I don't want one of those like, uh, you know, open your heart, you know, let these friendships in, they'll change you, you grow, you'll blossom. He's not in for any of that kind of touchy-feely nonsense. And even Zari agrees, like, yeah, well, you don't know me. I would never do that because that would be lame. But what she does do is give him a photo that she took while she was surveilling Constantine uh, of him in the pub talking to his mom. And at least Constantine is, uh, you know, he he doesn't want to, you know, he he definitely, Matt Matt Ryan plays it really well in there. I mean, he, he knows Constantine so well, but he's able to just play that moment just right where you get a little bit of emotion, but it doesn't. You don't see all of a sudden Constantine say, you're right, we're all great people now. But uh, I think you start seeing slow steps towards Constantine starting to, I don't think we're, we're not necessarily letting Constantine change in the way that who he is, but in the sense of at least opening himself up to looking for help. And it, it's going to be a battle for Constantine because he is, he always asks, he always acts in his own best interest. He will help other people. But he will also make sure that he's benefiting in some fashion as well. So he's been really standoffish with the the legend so far in terms of the threat that's coming his way. He's partnered up with them, but it's only in a way for him to look to hopefully through the course of these adventures find something that he can use to be able for uh, to be able for him to combat the threat that's coming after him. And we saw that last week with the fairy godmother who wanted nothing to do with Constantine because. Uh, she knew who was coming after him, and she did not want to be on that 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 entity's bad side. No way. She'd rather go back to hell than be bound to Constantine. So clearly, something's bad is coming is Constantine's way, and he's been with the legend so far, just looking for something along the travels to to use to help him. But uh, hopefully, we'll see that you know the the legends can help if he's willing at least to open up and share a, a little bit about who is after him and why. And I, I'm, I'm not sure how long this is going to take for Constantine to uh, kind of let down those walls just low enough for him to be able to share that information. I'm hoping it's sooner rather than later. Uh, but again, these episodes have been entertaining so far. 
uh, with the just the little bits and drabs that we've got, I feel like at some point we're going to have to really kick it into high gear about this threat that's after Constantine because it's been painted that it's going to be a pretty big, important part of this season. So I'd rather have it established uh, sooner rather than later. As we, as Lex and I have talked about before, or even Dave and I have talked about uh, two weeks before that, that uh, the longer you wait to kind of really identify and show your big bad, I... I don't know. I, I, I like the idea. If you can show it up front, I feel like that means you have confidence in the idea that you know exactly what you're good, what you want, what you're doing, what your plan is. But I feel like if you don't and you're kind of uh, playing coy with it, you're kind of, you know, very uh, bits and pieces of information, but nothing really concrete that as a viewer, it gives me the impression that you you have just the barest broad strokes of a plan and you're still trying to figure it out. And that gives me less confidence that it's going to really stick the landing by the end of the season. Uh, as we mentioned last week, the, uh, the way uh, Malice was described as this entity that if you saw his true visage, you're, you would go insane. And then we saw his visage uh, at the end of the last season, and it was kind of eh, not that exciting. So I felt like that was that was kind of a letdown, and I'm hoping that we don't, we don't get this again this season. But, you know, it was like a, a chance for me to eat some beef and. I gotta admit, so far, these past two, this episode and last episode, I haven't had really any beef to eat, and I'm. Why is the beef? I know yeah, I'm hungry for some beef, and I want to get. And I know the beef is coming. For that, I know. Uh, Legends of Tomorrow is is a show that cannot go beef free, and it will not go beef free. But uh, right now, uh, the beef is there's. I, I don't have enough beef to to make a bite out of. So, uh, but trust me, I know Legends. I love legends, but I also know that I love the, by loving the legends, the beef is going to come. So I I am as surprised as you are that I've gone two weeks in a row without any beef. But trust me, that is not going to be the case for the rest of the season. There is going to be beef coming. And when it comes, I will be dining on it. We'll see if the uh, the rest of the panel can eat that beef when it happens. Uh, but as we get ready to wrap up, though, folks, I guess we could I could I could do a few predictions. <laughs> Why not? It's just me. And now you're after Buzz TV. Predictions. Hmm. Well, by the uh, the uh, the tease for next week, they are going to summer camp, which is always a great way to uh, have all your uh, uh, the, the the childhood regrets to come bubbling up to the surface that you've had the childhood embarrassments. Embarrassments. So uh, they're going to summer camp. I don't know exactly what the threat will be, whether it'll be something in a lake uh, or some other kind of mysterious thing, but. Uh, one thing that I did see in the, in the tease, and I, it'll be curious to see how Constantine justifies this, is that he said at the beginning of the season he was never going to dress up in a costume. I'm not going to dress up. You know, I, what I wear is what I wear. Yet we see in the teaser for next week that he is wearing one of those Camp Counselor T-shirts, uh, the polo shirts. So he got himself dressed up. He kind of blended into the scenery. So, Constantine, look at you. Uh, you know, already... Starting to succumb to the uh, the whims and uh, the fanciful natures of the legends of tomorrow, they're they're slowly breaking down those walls, Constantine. They're making you dress up in a polo. Whoever thought you'd see Constantine in a polo? I never did. It uh, admittedly, it seemed weird when I watched it in the teaser. I was like, "Whoa, hold on a second, that's Constantine in a polo. That looks weird. That's like a you know, like a monkey washing a cat. You know, you can it, you can see it, but you it seems kind of weird." Seems kind of weird. That's all I'm going to say. But uh, I'm going to, uh, you know what? I, I'm, I'm going to take it back. I know we did our, our, our where's the beef. I'm going to put a little beef. 
I'm going to backtrack. So, that's it. I got I got a little bit of beef. My beef is going to be that uh, they're really playing at the. Uh, there you go. Give it to me. Where's the beef? I got a little beef. I just thought it popped in my head. My beef about this episode. Where's the beef? That's right. Popped in my head. Apologies for the late beef. It just percolated in my head as I was thinking about this episode. And that is, of course, Nate wanted to, not wanting to be around Amaya. What I feared uh, coming to pass is going to come to pass uh, that I talked about Lex with Lex last week is that we're going to play up where now you have somebody that looks like somebody that you used to love but is not that person. And we're going to see Nate uh, and Charlie butting heads because, of course, Nate is going to be drawn to this person just on the physical appearance, but then frustrated by the uh, the true personality of the person underneath. And that's my least favorite kind of thing where it's like, oh, I'm rev- I, I, the person I love more than anything is back from the dead or wherever, but it's not really that person. It's somebody else that just looks like them but behaves totally differently. And I've got to learn that things aren't the way they used to be, and I have to accept my new reality. Not looking forward to that, really, that little bit of a journey. And I'm hoping that whatever uh, conflict that uh, Nate and Charlie have can be resolved quickly, and they don't have to get together. I rather, I would rather them not ever get together, but let's quickly just resolve this, uh, whatever kind of tension there would be for them before Nate wanting to uh, have this person be Amaya because it looks like Amaya, but nope, it's really Charlie. So... That's my little bit of a beef. Uh, sadly, there's nobody here to eat it, and I, I, I'd be curious to see how much of that beef would have been eaten by the rest of the panel. But you know what? Next week, we can find out. I'll throw that beef out again, and we'll see if anybody can uh, chew on that. So in the meantime, folks, that's going to do it for this episode of the Legends of Tomorrow After Show. I rode this Wave Rider solo, folks. Just remember that. I did it for you because I love you, all of you, all of you great fans out there. And uh, as always, folks, thanks for watching. Uh, like us on Facebook. Give us those five stars on iTunes. Or just give me that five stars on iTunes. You know, look at that. Just, we'll just cheer me for a little bit of that. Uh, subscribe to the YouTube channel uh, while you're there. Uh, give it a thumbs up there uh, for the video as well. And thanks, everybody, for hopping in the chat. And if you're watching, even after we stream live, comment down below. And Lucretia, Dave, Lex, hopefully, fingers crossed, everything aligns properly. And they are all back here on the panel with me next week. Uh, but in the meantime, if you want to stay in touch with any of us, you can find us on social media. Lucretia Lyon is at Lucretia Lyon. Dave Child is at Mr. Dave Child. Lex Michael is at the Lex Michael. And then you can follow me on Twitter or Instagram at Happy Go Jackie. Folks, thanks so much for joining the solo venture on the Wave Rider for the Legends of Tomorrow after show. But I'll be I'll be back next week, and let's hope the rest of the panel will be right here on AfterBuzz TV. Our founder, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and me, Maria Menunos, would like to thank you for tuning in to AfterBuzz TV. Remember, we're not just the first, we're the biggest in the world, and we're the only destination for all your favorite TV shows. Whatever you crave, we've got it. So go to AfterBuzzTV.com and check out our lineup. Buzz you later. <laughs> the views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals. 